Welcome to Student Affairs Now. Today's episode, recorded earlier this week, is brought to you as a partnership between Student Affairs Now and ACPA, College Student Educators International. I am so grateful for the opportunity to showcase the NextGen Institute and bring to the podcast this conversation about how prospective graduate students go about building a career in student affairs. For those of you who are watching or listening who are current administrators in a division of student affairs, if you work with students who may be considering going into the field, this episode is for them. Please forward the YouTube video or iTunes link to students on your campus who you think could benefit with engaging in ACPA's NextGen Institute. Find out more about NextGen at myacpa.org. My name is Heather Shea, my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am your host for tonight's episode. Together with Richie Stevens, I also serve as one of the co-chairs of ACPA's NextGen Institute. I'm broadcasting live from East Lansing, Michigan, near the campus of Michigan State University. MSU occupies the ancestral homelands of the Anishinaabe Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi peoples. For those of you tuning in from campuses all over the United States, I urge you to take a moment to investigate the land on which you currently reside. Now I'm going to turn it over to Angela Hoffman-Cooper, who's going to tell us a little bit about ACPA's land acknowledgement as well. Angela? Hi there, everyone. It's great to be here with you today. My name is Angela Hoffman-Cooper, and I use pronouns she and her, and I'm the Director of Professional Development with ACPA, College Student Educators International. I'm really glad you can be here with us. We would like to begin with our ACPA land acknowledgement. ACPA, College Student Educators International, is the leading comprehensive student affairs association that advances higher education and engages students for a lifetime of learning and discovery. Although serving an international audience, our membership is primarily from the United States and our offices are headquartered in Washington, DC at the National Center for Higher Education. Related to our mission of supporting and fostering learning through the generation and sharing of knowledge, ACPA acknowledges the painful history of genocide in the United States for native, aboriginal, and indigenous peoples. We honor and respect the many and diverse tribal nations and peoples who were forcefully removed from, as well as those still connected to this land. We particularly acknowledge and recognize that the land upon which our international headquarters is located today has long served as a site of meeting and exchange amongst a number of indigenous people, including the Akahonic, Pocomoke, Piscataway, Anacostank, Mattapeniant, Nangamuk, Pamunkey, Tawihent, Nanticoke, Chickahominy, Monacoon, Mattapenai, Nansimund, Rappahannock, Anistohini Unami, and Ossetique tribal nations as the original occupants of the Washington DC region. ACPA strongly advocates for higher education and student affairs professionals to honor the land, the original tribal occupants, and the history of the place where you are located. Further, we have a responsibility to continually self-educate, reflect, and listen to the histories and people in our areas, including tribal land acknowledgements in practice, and understanding and acknowledging history is not only respectful and educational, is the justice-oriented advocacy necessary for continuing the work of dismantling the devastating effects of settler colonialism in our society. 
as we are gathering virtually, as Heather said, do encourage us each to learn a little bit more um, about the history of the areas and the land that you are on. Thank you so much, Angela. I'm gonna introduce the rest of the panelists here in just a moment, but before I do, I wanna give a quick shout out to the organizations that made tonight's webcast possible. Student Affairs Now is a new podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, and adjacent to the field of student affairs in higher education. Our mission is to make a contribution to the field while being restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays, and you can find us online at studentaffairsnow.com. Partnering with us tonight to bring you this webcast is the premier international student affairs association, ACPA, College Student Educators International, the host of the NextGen Institute. As Angela said, ACPA is the leading comprehensive student affairs association that advances student affairs and engages students for a lifetime of learning and discovery. Headquartered in Washington, D.C. at the National Center for Higher Education at the National oh, ACPA members include graduate and undergraduate students enrolled in student affairs and higher education administration programs, faculty and student affairs educators representing 1,200 private and public universities and institutions across the United States and around the world. You can find out more about this association at myacpa.org. Okay, so tonight's webcast is going to consist of two parts. First, we're going to engage a panel of the NextGen Institute faculty in the broad topic of building a career in student affairs. Then we're gonna stop recording and open the floor to any additional panelists who may have joined us, there may be some who are on the call watching who wanna assist us in fielding questions. Students who are watching this evening, please be thinking about questions you'd like to pose and you can start adding them now to our Q&A. And we'll be sure to get to these around 7.40, 7.45 or so. So the panelists and guests for part one of the episode are, and as I say your name, you can wave or um, otherwise indicate you here. Hello, Dr. Antonio Duran at Auburn University. Hello. Dr. Carla Perez-Velez at Colorado School of Mines, Deshaun Scott at Florida State University, and Dr. Richie Stevens at Shepherd University. Okay, so I'd like to start tonight, have each of you give yourself a little bit more of an introduction besides your name and your institution. Um, tell us a little bit about your student affairs pathways, um, how you got into this field. So Antonio, I'm gonna start with you. Sounds good. Well, hello everyone who is joining us today and who will be listening a little bit later on. Um, as Heather mentioned, my name is Antonio Duran and my pronouns are he and his. Um, and I'm actually currently a faculty member in the Administration of Higher Education program at Auburn University. So my journey to being a faculty member who teaches and researches about student affairs um, is a short and long one simultaneously. Um, I was a first generation college student who found my way to NYU all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, and I had no idea what my college years uh, would have in front of me. Um, however, as soon as I arrived onto the NYU campus, I fell in love. Um, and importantly, I always say that even though I didn't know it at the time, it was exactly what I needed. 
As a first-generation student from a working-class background who also identifies as queer and a person of color, uh, NYU was extremely formative to me being able to explore all parts of myself and who I was, especially as I moved through the world with all these social identities. Um, and in particular, it was a student affairs practitioners um, who were at, who was at the institution who allowed me to engage in this kind of self-reflection um, and challenged me to think critically about, you know, and what areas was I oppressed and what areas was I privileged and how can I mobilize this power moving forward? Um, and seeing the kind of passion that these individuals had for their work um, encouraged me to pursue a career in student affairs. Now, when I arrived at Miami University for my master's program, um, I also quickly realized that even though I still loved working with students, uh, my passions for student affairs started to shift. And in particular, I started to gain a fervor for teaching and researching about student affairs that led me to uh, pursue a PhD. So from being a first-generation college student to obtaining a PhD and becoming an assistant professor, the journey has been a wild one, but one that I would never trade um, for a million years because now I get to work with amazing graduate students who are entering the field of student affairs, higher education broadly, and are doing great work. Thanks so much, Antonio. Welcome. Deshaun, tell us about you. Hello, everyone. My name is Deshaun Scott. My pronouns are he, him, his. I currently work at Florida State University as Program Coordinator of Student Governance and Advocacy. So my journey into student affairs, it all started, I attended Westminster College, which is a small private liberal arts institution in Missouri. And the very first week I got involved with SGA. Um, shortly after being involved in SGA, I began involved with campus activities, um, alumni relations council, and I started getting involved very fast on, on campus. And one of my mentors was um, the director of student activities. And I always see her at all our events, um, showing up and advocating for us. So one night I was just talking to her and I was just like, what exactly is your job? I see you here all the time on campus. You constantly advocating for us. So what did you go to school for? And she told me, she was like, I went to school for a higher education in student affairs. And my first question was, what is student affairs? Because I have never heard about that. It's not a major in undergrad. Can you explain me more? So she spent, uh, she took me out to dinner and explained more about her role and how I can get involved. Um, and I was just looking at her and saying, I would love to, to love to have the support and do the same thing she does for other students. So I switched my major um, to something else because uh, I was like, I want to do that what she does and go to grad school. So I eventually went to grad school at India University in Bloomington, Indiana for higher education and student affairs. And I chose that because of the faculty and it's a cohort model. So me going, to, me attending a small school, I wanted that family, that family connection. So I chose that cohort model at Indiana University. Um, so that's my journey into, my short journey into higher education and student affairs. Thanks so much, Deshaun. I love hearing that story. Carla, welcome. Hi. Hi, folks. Um, so like Heather shared, um, my name is Dr. Carla Perez-Velez. I use she, her, her pronouns, and I currently serve as an associate director um, at the Colorado School of Mines in the Center for Academic Services and Advising. And my pathway into student affairs um, was very practical. Um, I started school um, uh, when I was actually 21. And so when I entered the field, I was, um, I, I sort of fell into it, but I was very practical. I was looking for an on-campus job um, and I needed to support myself through academics. I'm a first-gen Latina, uh, first-generation student 
um, Latina. And so I was like, I need, I need a practical approach. And so I learned, my roommate happened to be a resident assistant. Um, and so I learned more about on-campus jobs through them. And I ended up applying and became a resident assistant and then and an orientation leader. And I was really involved in my multicultural office. Um, and so that's how I began to learn about the field of student affairs. And then it wasn't until my junior year that I, I um, had a serious thought around entering the field. Um, I was uh, going to be a sociology major and I decided that this would potentially be the next step for me. And so I actually um, decided to go into student affairs because it really connected into my interest in working with people and my job at the time as a resident assistant. Um, I ended up choosing my program through um, going to the Southern Placement Exchange and I decided to attend Western Kentucky University. And again, I, I made a fairly practical decision. I loved the institution when I met with the folks there and the staff um, and it was a great opportunity, but also um, they offered me a full-time employment and I attended school part-time. Um, so it was more of what I needed at, at that time in my life. And so it was a great opportunity there. Um, and then it was from there, I moved into um, residence life and then have moved on to some other positions, positions since then. So that's a little bit about my path into the field. Awesome. Thanks so much, Carla. Richie, tell us about you. Hi, I'm Dr. Richie Stevens. I use he, him, his pronouns. Um, I am currently the interim vice president for enrollment management. And then I'm also the assistant provost for faculty affairs and dean of graduate and professional studies at Shepherd University, which is located in the eastern uh, panhandle of West Virginia. I always like to put that in there. Um, my journey, I was also a first generation college student um, and um, I had to get a job. And so actually my first job was in the dining hall um, and I can replace milk in a milk dispenser like nobody's business. Um, but I was gonna be a teacher. As a first gen, there were a few opportunities to think about what you're gonna do and I was gonna be a teacher and I wanted to be a guidance counselor. That's where my mentors were in high school. And I became an RA and decided I liked working with college students more than high school students. And so uh, that's what it started my journey. Um, I got my master's at Iowa State University in the Midwest. And um, originally I had looked at Miami of Ohio and I drove 10 hours, uh, great campus, great program, not dissing it, went there, drove 10 hours, and it felt like it was on the exact same campus as William Mary. The architecture is exactly the same. And so I decided to take a different journey. And I went from a, a small public institution on the uh, East Coast and moved to the Midwest for a school that was, I think, 26,000 at the time. So I wanted that experience difference. Um, I was a hall director there. Um, and got in the higher education program. Um, I worked 19 years as a student affairs professional, primarily in, uh, in residence life, um, but I always loved being in the classroom and had an opportunity to create a master's program at Shepherd University um, and started teaching in that. Um, and I taught for um, 10 years in the program and still continue to teach part-time in it. Um, and I earned my doctorate at University of Maryland College Park. So we'll stop there.
Awesome. Thanks so much, Richie. My pathway is really similar. I won't go into the details, but also an RA, similar to many of you, um, kind of fell into it, was looking for a job and something to do after undergrad and actually ended up doing my master's at the same institution that I had been at for um, undergrad, Colorado State University. Um, now I'm at Michigan State and I teach in the Student Affairs Administration MA program here um, and also work full-time as an administrator in the Division of Student Affairs. So it's really fun to be able to be on this call with you all tonight. Um, we have, the five of us, been together over a, over a course of a year or more working on planning the Next Gen Institute, both last year, last March, as well as coming up this next year. So Antonio, can you tell us a little bit about what is Next Gen? What can students who are joining us tonight or listening later expect about this institute um, typically, and then maybe in future years? <laughs> for sure, for sure, great question, Heather. Um, I actually am looking at the list of attendees and recognize some past uh, next-gen participants. So that's always wonderful to see. People love it so much, they're coming on back. Um, so next-gen is a, a unique opportunity for undergraduate students from across the country to interact with next-gen faculty, student affairs practitioners, um, in order to navigate this field of student affairs. Uh, picking up on what Deshaun mentioned earlier, right, a lot of us had that moment in which we recognize, oh, student affairs is a field, right? Like, I can pursue a career um, in this thing that I never knew existed. Um, and so NextGen is your opportunity to learn about the ins and outs of student affairs as a profession, um, and as well as to connect you to students and practitioners who are located across the country and really across the world. Um, I remember that when I was an undergraduate student who attended a very similar experience, um, I felt so empowered when I realized, oh, there are people like me um, and who also have the same sort of passion. And so traditionally, NextGen is a two-day experience that occurs right before the ACPA convention. This year, we are being pushed to be creative in how we deliver uh, the NextGen experience, the NextGen Institute. So what participants can expect from NextGen this upcoming year is actually a four-part webinar series in which we're going to break up the conversations that we would typically have over the course of two days um, and engage with you all virtually through this webinar platform. And importantly, we're striving to provide you all um, some of the topics that aren't typically explored as when people are considering the field of student affairs. So you can expect webinars having to do with alternative pathways, to student affairs, um, as well as, you know, why are some reasons that, pe or what are some ways that people use student affairs degrees in non-student affairs um, positions? So lots of really good information to come. And we're also really looking forward to engaging with you all individually um, as the experience continues to unfold. But I'll turn it over to anyone else to see if they miss anything as it relates to what the student, what the next gen experience is all about. I think you did a great job. Anyone else have something to add? Okay, so we've been dancing around this topic. We'll move to the next question. We've been dancing around this topic of student affairs. What is student affairs? Um, and so I'm gonna have Richie give us the broad definition of what do we mean when we say this field? For those of you who are like, I've never heard of this thing before and I'm curious about it. Why would I wanna do it? What is student affairs, Richie? So, um, you know, I teach the intro class. I've taught it for 12 years now. 
And what I tell students when they come in, these are people who've chosen to go into a career and they're still like, what is student affairs? Um, I say pretty much it's anything except for the faculty in the business office at a college or university. And it could be at a two-year institution or a four-year institution, and really recognizing that. Uh, student affairs covers a lot of departments and divisions around the campus. So you may have worked in those as a leader or as an employee, uh, residence life, judicial, but it also can include the enrollment management area. So admissions, the registrar, financial aid, places like um, the development and alumni office as well. And so I think it's really important. And all of those offices are looking to think about um, often, how can we provide programmatic services, programs, resources, research, advocacy, in order to help students grow and develop as individuals while they're on the college campus. And so we can look at that, how we aid and assist students as they achieve their primary goal of earning a, a degree um, and look for those opportunities for people to explore who they are um, and who they wanna be. Anyone else have something else they wanna add? How they see student affairs? I think the one thing I would say is that it, it may look very different on the campus that you're at. Um, for example, at Michigan State University, the Division of Student Affairs and Services contains some offices that I wouldn't necessarily expect. And then some offices are external to the Division of Student Affairs that you would expect to be in a typical division. Um, and so it might be really interesting for folks um, on the call or who are watching today or listening later to look up their own institution's kind of organizational chart. Like what does student affairs um, look like at your institution? Cool, so on the next question. So Carla, if you were thinking, if you were talking to somebody, talking to a prospective student who wanted to go into student affairs, what would you tell them about fit and career fit? And we can definitely complicate that topic of fit because I think that's often fraught um discussion but how would you know if student affairs might be a good career for you yeah um we'll definitely complicate that a little bit but i would say to start it would be to you know talk to as many people as you can on your campus you know maybe when you pull that org chart and see what your campus looks like as it relates to the field of student affairs or the organization of student affairs or student life or however it's classified on your campus, um, is to really talk to folks and, and see what it is that folks are doing, um, what does the day-to-day -day look like? And, and this could sound very similar to what you would hear in saying if you were to enter any field, right? Like how do you explore, maybe do some informational interviews if you're trying to reach out to someone that you're not connected with to, to learn more about their area. Um, and, you know, I did some of this initially when I started looking into the field, I, you know, I started in residence life and when I expanded my efforts, realizing I wanted to move um, out of residence life, I, I also came back to this idea of like, how do I connect in and learn more by having these conversations and determining if it could be something you're interested in career wise. Do you like working with students? What type of students? Um, four-year institutions, two-year institutions, and that, and, and don't feel, uh, if you have the capacity and, and can reach out to other types of institutions, small, large, private, public, um, to really kind of learn about those pieces. Um, I, as it relates to FIT, I think we could complicate that in, in knowing there's a long-standing 
idea around fit in organizations, but I encourage folks to think um, more about where they could grow, also how they could help folks grow or organization, organizations grow, um, how do they want to show up in the workspaces and, uh, and be able to sort of be authentic in those spaces when they enter them. Um, and then as a, as a follow-up, I don't, I don't know that I would say if we think about um, if there are any wrong reasons to join a field, but I, I would encourage folks and in those conversations that, that maybe they expand beyond, um, I think one of the common areas is that there's a live-in opportunity for some positions where um, you might have room and board covered or you might have different opportunities in that way, which is great and also um, you want to make sure that you're you're engaged in the work in a way that um, fulfills you and and it's what you're excited to do each day. So I think taking it a little bit further as you think about um, what is that day-to-day -day that you want to do when you get up and connect with students and um, it doesn't mean you're locked into a field. You can definitely switch and move. There's a lot of opportunities in the field and even extension out into the field um, and sort of the partnerships that we have as it relates to student affairs. So that's what I would share as you think about going into the field um, of student affairs. Antonio, do you have something you want to add? Yes, I mean, I want to uh, first echo everything that Dra. Perez Velez just shared. Um, and I agree with, you know, complicating this notion of fit. Um, too often, fit becomes very coded language in, or in ways that we reproduce, you know, acquiring the same kind of people in an organization that inherently may reproduce issues of whiteness and um, tons of other forms of oppression. Um, and so related to that, I want to um, just jump on um, Carla was just mentioning in terms of having those tough and real conversations with professionals, especially with those who have similar social identities, um, in order to understand in what ways have they moved to the field, um, especially if they hold minoritized identities, um, and in what ways have they been able to advocate for equity and justice on college campuses, but in what other ways have has the work been hard? And I know that Deshaun is going to speak to some of these challenges, um, but I, I do think it is important to connect with those who hold similar social identities to hear how they navigated the field um, as a whole. Yeah, Deshaun, tell us a little bit about how, as you've experienced your professional career thus far, what have been some of the benefits and then what have been some of the challenges um, that you have experienced or that broadly you've seen other student affairs professionals face? Before I go any further, the number one benefit is the variety of professional organizations like ACPA, NASPA, and ASH. I call these people my student affairs family because people, it's exciting to have people who are outside of the institution that I'm currently working at who can support me and where we can share resources of how can we support each other during different times. Like I tell people, regardless of what school you attend or work at, institutions are experiencing similar campus issues. Um, student affairs is a field that is constantly changing and evolving. Of student affairs professionals perform a variety of tasks such as day-to-day -day basis such as planning events crisis management advising student groups leading meetings there's so many different career opportunities you can have within student affairs one another another benefit is supporting and developing students from beginning and end like meeting the student for their first time as a freshman or a sophomore and them helping trying to understand campus and you being there to provide resources and tools to help them all the way up to graduation 
And that's a moment right there is very exciting to me because I'm like, I'm glad I was able to provide you the support that other students or myself may not have had in the past. Another thing is advocating for students. Um, it's kind of hard uh, separating yourself with your, the values of your institution and trying to figure out how can you combine both those two to successfully effectively, to effectively support and advocate students during certain times, which I'll talk about the challenges with that. And the other thing, just hearing students saying, thank you for being there. Like, I don't do this for thank you, but it's always nice to hear students saying, I appreciate you and this is what I needed. So even though there's many benefits of working in student affairs, like I said, the campus environment is always changing and offers new challenges and require new strategies and ideas to deal with these challenges. I think one of the big ones is what does support means? Because everyone has their own definition of support, especially when it's around diversity and inclusion um, issues. So my office deals with advising identity-based organizations and advising XGA. So those are two completely different areas that I deal with. So we have to figure out how can we offer support and guidance to institutions across the country, even ourselves, around diversity and inclusion issues. Like I tell people, America is hurting and many in our communities are too. So this year I have seen an increase of social media posts and students, faculty and staff showing their anger, frustration and sadness about a variety of issues such as Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ rights, and international students being accept, accepted in our society, uh, members within the campus communities are holding ins institutions responsible for their actions. Um, I tell my institution all the time, it is important to realize that commitment goes beyond, beyond hosting meetings and issuing statements. What are you doing to help support students? And there's gonna be times where you realize, I did all that I can do and people are still not satisfied. I realize you're not gonna make everyone 100% happy. I often speak about student affairs, about being a family, and sometimes it means that we have to take a look close, a close look at what are we doing and how can we change um, to do better so that all members of our community can feel truly understood, valued, and supported. And then another one is just realizing taking time for yourself. You have to take those moments. Um, so those are some of the challenges and benefits of being uh, a student affairs professional. Wow. Deshaun, I got chills as you were talking about the ways that you have both experienced some of those benefits as well as the challenges. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I wholeheartedly agree. Um, those student notes at the end of their college career are among the moments that I look back on and just really, you know, again, say, wow, this was amazing. Um, Richie, did you want to add something else about challenges or benefits? Yeah, I think um, Deshaun is talking about his early stage career. For, for me, I've been here in the profession a lot longer. Um, and I think one of the things that's really beneficial is that in a career working in higher education, um, you stay young or young at heart, however you want to look at that, because the energy that comes in from the students that you're working with and the employees and peers that you have keep you young, keep you motivated. Um, and I have a tattoo on my arm. One of the things that I tell the students when I teach them, there are two things. One is that they're an educator, don't forget that, and that you're a lifelong learner. And I think that any day that I don't learn something new um, in higher education is just a bad day and I haven't had a bad day. So really taking advantage of recognizing that you can grow and stay young and learn 
uh, from the students and peers that you're interacting with, which I think is just key uh, for success. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. As I'm earing into my second decade in this field, I'm continually reminded of the ways in which I am both in some rooms, the youngest person in the room and in other other times, the oldest person in the room. So I want to transition now into the topic of building a career. This is Careers in Student Affairs Month. And for those of you who are watching who are maybe considering a pathway into the field, one of the steps is often a professional preparation program or a graduate school. Um, Antonio, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the advantages of going straight into graduate school versus taking some time off between undergraduate and graduate study? Yes, such a good question. Um, so I, th I do think one of the benefits of having this first webinar of NextGen um, during Career Institute Affairs Month is that we get to benefit from the variety of perspectives that professionals hold about what it means to pursue a career in student affairs. Um, so let me start off by saying that all advice is going to be subjective and that my own journey into the field was that I was an eager beaver and went straight through not only to my master's program, but then also to my PhD program. Um, however, I do now have the, the valuable perspective of being a faculty member in which I'm working with students who, you know, some went straight through from their undergraduate to the graduate degree and others took some time off in between. Um, and once again, their journeys are so individual. One of the reasons why people oftentimes take time off between their undergraduate and graduate degree uh, may be that, you know, you're, you're just tired. Right. Um, you have just spent uh, a substantial amount of your life going to school and uh, you may need just to recalibrate and recharge your energy in order to keep on moving forward with advanced uh, studies. Um, a graduate degree is an enriching experience, but it does take a lot of time and energy. Um, and for those who take a gap year, that might be a gap year or multiple gap years. That may be the opportunity to really recharge in order to do so. Others may not be particularly set on whether or not they want to go into student affairs and, you know, the time off between an undergraduate and a graduate degree may be an opportunity to, to uh, actually work in the field and apply for positions that only require a bachelor's degree. Um, and through the practical hands-on experience, they may discover, yes, this is it. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life or for the immediate future. Or you may come to realize, you know, student affairs is not necessarily what I thought it was going to be like. Um, and that could be extremely helpful information for you to make the decision to go um, into a graduate program. That being said, if you do decide to go straight through, um, I know a lot of um, people are working off of the adrenaline of being in education and really want to make it through to finish off one more degree. Um, and so as long as you have that energy pushing you through, then I think you'll be just fine and um, equipped in order to acquire a graduate degree. And the last thing that I'll mention is that both are extremely valuable to have in the classroom. Those who went through from their undergraduate to the graduate degree are oftentimes pulling on those fresh undergraduate experiences. You're making sense of the research and material we're discussing. Those who took some time off and potentially worked in the field or outside of the field are bringing in that prof professional, practical, hands-on experience as a practitioner. Um, and so you're going to be set up well, regardless of what path you go. It just becomes a matter of like, how am I feeling? 
Um, am I ready for this experience? And if not, what are some of the other alternatives that I may uh, pursue before then obtaining a graduate degree if that's what you decide to do? Perfect. Thank you so much. So it is really in the fall, the time when people uh, make some choices about where they're going to apply and perhaps um, what types of programs they're most interested in pursuing. Um, and there is a wide variety of graduate programs out there. We've all kind of talked a little bit about our experiences from cohort-based models to more practical to counseling-based. Um, Deshaun, can you talk a little bit about um, that approach for grad school? And I think you talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but maybe a little bit emphasis on um, what's the difference between different types of graduate programs and uh, we'll, we'll pick up this topic in a future webinar where we go into alternative pathways into the field, because certainly graduate preparation isn't the only way into student affairs. But talk a little bit about some of the differences in graduate school programs. So there's so many different graduate programs. Um, before I started my graduate search, I was trying to figure out if I want to do full-time or part-time. Um, so I decided to do a full-time right, route right after undergrad. Uh, me looking through all of the institutions' websites about um, their student affairs programs, uh, learning like what assistantships do they offer? Because me, I don't know about everyone else, but I was like, I would love if I had a stipend and tuition waiver um, that would help out a lot because my family are not uh, not rich. <laughs> so I was like, what can I do to help myself and my family with different finances? So finding out different assistantships. Um, do they have residential life or student activities or academic advising? There's so many different routes that you can choose from when you picking out assistantship. Another one is do you, if I want a cohort model or not. I had mentioned this earlier, but I wanted a cohort, cohort model because I was looking at a lot of big institutions and my undergrad institution was about 950 students. So I wanted that family, family feel, like people that I can talk to and have friends and talk like, different curriculum they were talking about in the classroom. So that was a big thing for me. So I went their cohort model. And then the big one is diversity. Um, the diversity of students, diversity of faculty and staff. That's kind of hard to find some sometimes, but I tell people always be willing to ask those difficult, difficult questions when it comes to diversity of students. Because um, there may be times where you may be the only black student in, in your class or the black supervisor in, or the person of color in your assistantship. So being willing to realize that they may happen to you um, in those situations and do you have support when dealing with those things. Another thing is about the, if you want the social justice base, um, pathway, academic base, or theory to practice, or all mixture of two or three of these all together. And I picked the mixture of the theory to practice and social justice rate uh, route because I felt like I would like to learn what I like to learn in the classroom and apply it to my assistantship and seeing how the two connect to help me prepare to be a student affairs professional. And this may have, this have changed from years, people who have been in higher education before me. Um, so I'm thankful for that. And also looking to the faculty, um, what, what are the faculty researching going and what type of classes are they teaching? So during my time, I had Dr. Lori Patton Davis and Dr. Sam Musaeus. So seeing, having them two, being my professor was very rewarding because I'm like, okay, I see your name in this book and you're my professor. So I can ask you more questions about the things that we're reading about and you can provide me support. And then the last thing was, um, can I get a minor or a graduate certificate? 
um, at Indiana University, I added on education law as a graduate certificate because the law, the state of law that we're in right now, law is impacting every little bits and pieces of higher, higher education. And I want to be able to effectively support my students um, and when things like that happen with this uh, administration. Well said. Um, we are running just a little bit short on time, but I want to get to one final question before we do final thoughts. Um, you know, for me, the field of student affairs has largely been about connections. I've moved around the country at many different campuses and through that entire two, almost two decades in the field, um, it's been my professional association involvement with ACPA that's been the primary source of my support in my home. This is a very connected field. I mean, you, for those of us uh, on the call, like we can all go like one, one uh, degree uh, from each other and probably name 10 people that we all have in common. Carla, can you talk a little bit about how you go about building connections in the field and, and what, what that's looked like for you through your career? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I would, at first it feels very daunting. At least it did for me when I started. I went to a small institution um, out on the East Coast and, um, but had a really strong local and regional uh, professional organization. So, so I would say like if you're to, to start small and connect with the professionals on your campus. And then if you have an, um, if your institution has a student affairs program, then I'd also recommend you connect with faculty to get those varied perspectives. Um, and if you don't have a, a, pro, a higher ed program or student affairs program on your campus, um, maybe connect to maybe one that's in your states or, or look at those um, opportunities uh, where you could sort of reach out. Um, local, regional, and virtual opportunities I think are really critical, like participating in webinars or webcasts. Um, I really started at, at the local regional level. Um, so in the, I was in the Southeast and so SACSA was really big, but I also joined the um, CPAC, which is the local ACPA chapter um, when I was at Western Kentucky. And then here um, in Colorado, there's a local chapter. So um, oftentimes you can start there. And then, and then I moved into the national organization and joining committees and um, opportunities to um, apply for different commissions and different opportunities there. And so um, sometimes if you're even just offered the opportunity in passing to connect, um, just take that opportunity just to, to reach out or send an email. Um, you know, I'm always happy to try and answer questions um, when I'm part of panels. So, you know, reaching out to folks. Um, but I would say, you know, you don't have to go big right away. Um, you can definitely start small and do like entry, um, like sort of steps through. Um, but, it, you know, you can also join a very large national convention. So um, there are multiple ways. And I would say, you know, start with where you feel most comfortable and, and you'll definitely find, I would say, a, a helping hand along the way. Oh, well said. That was great. So as we talked about at the beginning, this podcast um, is called Student Affairs Now. We want to bring it back to the present. Um, so what are you all pondering, questioning, excited about, troubling in our field uh, now? Uh, Richie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you. Yeah, so um, I think the, the obvious is with the COVID pandemic, um, we have pivoted to online and distance education. 
And I think for someone who's been in the field for over 30 years, this is not new, but for many campuses it is. And so really rethinking what does student development look like um, as we continue to move forward in more virtual spaces? And how do we assist students to continue to be successful as they define success um, on the college campuses, whether it's two or four year institutions? So I think it's an opportunity. Carla? Yeah, um, I would say I'm, I'm a, tend to be a bit of a thinker. So I've been pondering for some time um, and thinking about how do we not lose some of the different ways that we've learned to be um, at work or in school um, due to the pandemic. So for example, how do, how do we continue to honor different ways of being? So different work schedules, different work locations, making adjustments for students, making adjustments for staff. Um, and I think it's, the pandemic has um, pushed some of us to think a bit more broadly and around equity and access. And for me, it's how do we not lose that and just go back to normal because normal didn't work for everyone. And so how do we continue to push and think um, how we can hold on to some things that we've learned through this pandemic? Thank you so much. Deshaun. For me, I've been thinking a lot about the impacts of politics on student affairs. What is, what is this gonna look like for the future as in terms of how will we be able to advocate and support students in terms of diversity and inclusion efforts? Cause that's, that's changing. It's it changes every single day, I feel like of what support means for students. Also think about what would advocacy look like on student campuses during this time? Cause we're virtual. Uh, I see a lot more of advancement in technology where students are advocating for themselves on there. But we also have to think about well, what does the accessibility and uh, equity of technology for our students? Because we quickly had to move virtually, but not every single student has the opportunity to have Wi-Fi or a laptop. So what are institutions going to do in the future to make sure that students do have the tools and resources and technology for them to continue on um, with schooling? Well said. Antonio. Such good ruminations thus far. I think the, the one thing that is on my mind is how is it that we continue to support our early career professionals in student affairs, especially those minoritized communities. I think just combining everything that has just been said, I think the pandemic, um, recent um, acts of you know um, violence against minoritized groups um, mm -hmm. has really brought to light the fact that um, the issues that student affairs has, right? I love student affairs and that's the reason why I'm here on this webinar and it's not without its issues. And particularly I think about the labor that um, professionals put into their work, especially those who have minoritized identities. And so I continue to reflect on how is it that we best prepare these individuals who are starting out in the uh, field um, and also compensate them for their labor as well. Oh, really well said. Yeah, I think this is a really unique time to be doing this work and entering this field. And yet I'm reminded as um, one of my mentors, Chris Wren said that this is still a really good place to be. Higher education is still a really good place to be and moving into this field um, may, be the, may be the right fit for several of you watching today. Um, thank you so much to all the panelists and audience members who participated in the webcast tonight. You can receive reminders about this and other episodes by subscribing to the Student Affairs Now newsletter or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. 
please subscribe to the podcast, invite others to subscribe, share on social, or leave a five-star review. It really helps conversations like this reach more folks and build a community so we can continue to make this free for you. Reach out to us also and share what you'd like to hear more about on Student Affairs Now. Again, I'm Heather Shea. Thanks to the fabulous panelists and for everybody who is watching and listening. Make it a great week.